Hey, Dan. Hello, Riley. Yeah. See, even when I am in charge of opening the show, you try to take it over with your weirdness. I thought we were like a jazz duo, and I was riffing off the energy you were giving me. Because you know, if I'm going to form a jazz duo, you're the first door I'm knocking on. Oh, thank you. (laughs) No, that was meant as irony. Oh. Is it because the only instrument I play is the spoons? I have those spoons that are connected so you can play them. I have three different kinds of those spoons. Do you you seriously, Dan? I do. Why? I actually can play the spoons. I can even play it just like with kitchen spoons too. But is there any call for that? When I'm in Ireland or at the the cottage campfire, they come in handy or St. Patrick's Day. That's very old timey of you. My second apartment that I had, which was in uh, downtown, I uh, there was a little little Irish pub called Daniel O'Connell's, and I mean it was like a bar and like a few seats. That was it, and only like really only locals would go there. It was not like a place for like the university crowd to to go. And Thursday nights was sessional music, so you could just bring your instruments and show up and play. And that's how I learned how to play. There was this old Irish guy that that taught me some tricks with it, and I just had fun. It was my my. I love music so much, but I me too. I'm just not very good at it. Can't sing. Well, I can a little bit, I guess. A little bit, yeah. You can. You've worked with me before. Yes. You know, this might be a horrifying admission to you, but I don't like pubs. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. I, I just find them dark and hot and stuffy and claustrophobic. Like, I don't find them inviting at all. It, they're, it, they're so overpopulated and noisy and hot and just like not a, I don't find them a relaxing atmosphere. I don't. Well, they're not all like that. Well, the ones I've been in, the ones I've been in in England, for sure. Well, like my local pub, which I haven't been to in two years. My local pub is is an Irish pub, and it's uh, warm, and not, I don't mean temperature-wise, but, like, everyone knows everyone. Yeah, but but is it all that fucking dark wood? It is. And dark furniture, yes. and, like... I love it. It's cozy. But I it's find weird. It cozy. No, I don't find that cozy at all. I find it just very, I don't know, provincial and old-timey, and, mm-hmm. like, I don't know why pub architecture and the sort of pub aesthetic can't evolve like somebody decided okay it's gonna look like this and that's where we are like it's got to have wooden tables and all this wood and you know the bar with the mirror and all the boot like i don't understand why you can't have a modern pub i guess a cocktail lounge yeah that's what i was gonna say there's like martini bars and stuff like that that are more modern and air conditioned well and pubs are air conditioned my pubs are air conditioned it's just, I find them, honestly, I find them really uncomfortable. I've never found them welcoming. I'm taking you to a pub, and when this is when this madness is over, and we're going to record it, and that will be an episode of The Weird. I've been in a pub with you many times. Actually, you have. <laughs> a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, true. Dan, I got a story for you. I mentioned this in... Um, All right. Yeah, let's, 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 let's get to business. I mentioned this, uh, I, I think, in a, the last episode, or perhaps my episode before that, that I was interested in doing this. And when I was looking through things to write about for this week, I thought, you know what? It's time. So I'm going to tonight do a deep dive. Well, no, let me rephrase. I'm going to dive as deep as one possibly can into the organization known as Skull and Bones. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, great. Because I know that they're creepy and I know some of the, the famous people that are involved with it, but I don't really know that much more about it. You and everybody else. This is the most 
difficult research project I think I've ever undertaken really? in my life. Yes, it was wow. akin to starting work on like your master's thesis because they're so secretive and there are so many um, conflicting bits of information floating around. I'm going to tell you that the um, there's a, a very popular rumor out there floating around that the Skull and Bones was actually responsible for the Kennedy assassination. But do you think I could find anything that I could use in this podcast about that? The trail from Skull and Bones to the Kennedy assassination. I hear chairs moving. Do you hear that? Yes, I do. The trail from the Kennedy assassination to the Skull and Bones organization is so convoluted and so complicated that I just couldn't bring it to the listener tonight. So I'm just going to, honestly, it's like this person owned that bank and they invested in this and this person had over, over you know, uh, overseas ties to this and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's insane. It's like, it's crazy. Which may actually lead or lend, sorry, more credence to that theory. I guess. They made it so complex and hard to follow. Oh my God. That it people was, just went, ah, forget it. It's incredibly complicated. So I, what I've done is I've tried to simplify it for our, our consumption this week because nobody wants a pissy podcast. You're doing this because you feel like I'm not smart enough to get the full story. Fuck, after I did the research on this, I felt like I wasn't smart enough. It is so... We're tearing stuff, each other The down. stuff about businesses was so complicated. I needed a, a big a flowchart to mm -hmm. figure it out. Anyway, shall I tell you the story of Skull and Bones? You shall, my good sir. Here we go. Skull and Bones was formed in 1832 at Yale University. Uh, Yale had been in operation for 131 years already. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of the oldest post-secondary institutions in the United States. And it was known as being very much a very patrician place with rigid adherence to traditions of the past. So, sorry, this is 1832 and you said it was 130... Mm -hmm. So, 1600s it opens. 1700s. Late 1600s. 17, well, 131 years. Yeah, you're oh, right. Oh, 31 years, sorry. 131 years. Oh, okay. So, 1832 okay. takes us back to... Oh no, seventeen. No, oh, you're right. Six. I can't do math. Don't make me do math. No, everyone thinks I'm stupid. If it's if it's 1832 and it's Minus 131 31. years old, it opened in 1701. Okay, yeah. So 1701. I can't do math. I don't blame you. I I probably in, put in your shoes would have done the same thing. Okay. It was founded by a guy named William Huntington Russell and Alfonso Taft. And you're saying, Taft, I know that name. And of course you do, because he would father a child named oh. William Taft, who would one day be president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Very famous man. I'm surprised at his first name, Alfonso. <laughs> I know. You don't think of a founding, like you think of sort of Puritan, very English people at that time in positions of power in the United and it's States. it's a very Alfonso is kind of like an Italian name yes, or, a or Spanish. Or Spanish yeah. I got to tell you the funniest story, and this is nothing to do with this, this, <laughs> the, the skull and bones, but I gotta, I'm watching this stupid game show on Netflix because I'm trying to fall asleep, and it's called The Floor is Lava. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love stupid. it. It's just stupid. Yeah, it's stupid, sure. stupid, stupid. Exactly. Anyway, there's these three girls on there who are sisters, and the guy's interviewing them, and he's asking them if they win the $10,000, what they're going to do with it. And without missing a beat, they all three at the same go, laser hair removal. And then the one sister at the end goes, yeah, we're part Italian. <laughs> uh, yeah, she just sheepishly goes, yeah, we're part Italian. I just thought that was so funny. So all three you fall sisters. asleep with the TV on? Oh, yeah. The TV works for me. If I want to nap, if I want to go to sleep, sleep, no. No. Okay. Okay. This is like Saturday afternoon type thing. Yeah. If I want to nap, I'll put something that I really don't care about on. Anyway, okay, so 
Legends state that the actual creation of the organization was a response to existing groups on campus having a disagreement over an awards ceremony. Okay. They couldn't they couldn't agree on how to handle this awards ceremony. So in order to resolve that dispute, members of the Lenonia, the Brothers in Unity, and the Calliopean societies formed the Skull and Bones. The Calliopeans, eh? <laughs> God, they are just, they will get under your skin. Well, you always know they're coming because you hear... <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, Calliope is the thing on a merry-go-round. Oh, I didn't, I did not know that. That does get under your skin. It does. It's already under my skin. Now, it's said that Russell, William Huntington Russell, one of the founders, was inspired by mystical societies and elite organizations that he had encountered during a year abroad. And he was actually in Germany at the time. And he said at German schools, there were a lot of like really kind of mystical, wicka, wicka, woo, kind of witchy organizations. Mm -hmm. And he thought, let's do something spooky like that. A number of these organizations that he had encountered actually imitated the Illuminati. Oh. So we're back to that. Now... Skull and Bones was first called the Eulogian Club or the Eulogian Club. I think it's Eulogian. Let's say Eulogian. Let's go with it. Yeah. It was first called the Eulogian Club and was incorporated in 1856 as the Russell Trust Association. However, it soon became formally and, I guess, colloquially known. Uh, see that damn word. I know, colloquially. Colloquially. No, as the Order of the Skull and Bones, and that's how we know it today. We've gone through this colloquial thing before. Colloquially, yeah. It's a tough word. It just makes your mouth go in ways that it doesn't want to go. Mm. Like Pez, not Pez, not, um, what's that? Thrills, like thrills. That I love purple gum. thrills. I love thrills too, but it makes your mouth do weird things. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. My mouth can do weird things. Says so on the internet. <laughs> Now, just to give you an idea of what was going on at the time, here's some of the names of other groups that were at Yale at this time. I love them all. I want to join them all. The Scroll and Key, The Wolf's Head, oh. Berzelius, and Book and Snake. And all of these are equally secretive and mysterious organizations. See, we don't go that far back in Canada and we're not as big into organizations and fraternities and paternities in Canada as they are in the US. Mm -hmm. So this kind of thing is kind of foreign to us, I think. Skull and Bones members worshiped a mock deity named Eulogia and she was the goddess of elegance. So if you were to do a play about this, I would obviously be the obvious mm -hmm. choice to play mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. Initially, the group consisted of Russell, Taft, who I, both of whom I mentioned earlier, and 12 other members. Since that time, since the group was first brought together, every single spring, the society selects 15 new members from the junior class to join the organization. Oh, so it's very uh, small, very small group. Yes, it is, and very select. Now, they tend to target obvious people. These are future leaders, the movers and shakers, people with pedigree and people with influence. American royalty. Exactly. And we all know that American royalty are people in business. The more money you make, the more revered you are. Uh, and so this is the kind of people that we're talking about. Um, a lot of old money mm -hmm. there. I mean, there's certain families that if you're in that family, I think you're pretty much guaranteed an invitation to join Skull and Bones, such as the Bushes, which I will discuss right. later. Before they even select you, the members, potential members, so candidates, are carefully watched and monitored and assessed by the existing members. So they really stake them out. 
they do background checks on them. They talk to them. It's almost like getting a security clearance. They mm -hmm. really make sure that they're making the right selection. Now, new members will always have been at Yale for two years or more. They're still the junior class, but they have to have been there for a while. They're not okay. fresh off the boat. New members are selected at an event known as Tap Night. And Tap Night is when all of the societies at Yale tell their candidates that they've been selected. So what you will do is you'll be just walking around and an existing member will come up and tap you on the shoulder and go, come with me. And oh. that means you've been invited to whatever organization he or she represents. Do these other societies still all exist? Yeah, tons of them. The ones I mentioned, the earlier ones, like the book and the snake and all that, yeah. they're all there. Okay. So that's how tap night works. So it, it's apparently incredible, but it's also profoundly disappointing. You'll see people on tap night, like just sitting on a bench in tears. Because, Who thought that they were going to be invited? Yeah, 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 they didn't make it. And that's all that happens is someone taps you on the shoulder and away you go to be initiated. Now, what happens if, what happens if two organizations target the same person? I guess then you would have to choose. Yeah. I wonder if the organizations talk as well. I don't know. See, again, there's so much, there's such a veil of secrecy over this all. It's really hard to tell what the hell is going on. Anyway, like I said, they follow that person and the initiation process begins immediately. It's one of the most famous events at, uh, at Yale. And it happens at the end of the school year. So it's kind of fun and everybody's excited about it. And I guess throughout the school year, you've got to try to prove yourself. You've got to try oh. to prove yourself worthy. So you only get tapped at the end of your junior year, yeah. which is the second year of, of school. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The names of the candidates are published in the Yale publication called The Rumpus at the end of the school year. Okay. So people know who went where. Oh, okay. So John went to the... So that's how we know some of those famous people that went through the ranks is because it's absolutely. been published. Okay. Although they won't admit it if you ask them. One Yale student who observed the spectacle and lived in a, a dorm there called the Jonathan Edwards dorm had this to say. And I wanted to read this verbatim because I thought it was kind of fun and interesting. And he was a witness to it. It was part of the Jonathan Edwards folklore that on the April evening following tap night at Bones, if one could climb to the Tower of Weir Hall, the building that overlooks the Bones courtyard, one could hear strange cries and moans coming from the bowels of the tomb as the 15 newly tapped members were put through what sounded like a harrowing ordeal. Returning alone to my room late at night, I would always cross the street rather than walk the sidewalk that passed right in front of the Bones building. And even at that safe distance, something about it made my skin crawl. So this is the vibe he got off the whole mm -hmm. skull and bones. Well, I've always thought of them as being sort of creepy and dark. Well, they are. Look at their logo. Okay, so from now on, Dan, in the rest of the podcast, I'm going to be referring to these people as Bonesmen. Okay. Can you hear the stomping directly above me again? No, not really, but it doesn't matter. I'm the one talking. Okay. Well, as long as you're not bothered by it, then... No, but what I am um, wondering about is that elaborate beverage you have. It looks like whiskey or something. This is uh, Irish whiskey. This is uh, Writer's Tears is the name of it. It's one of my favorite Irish whiskeys and one of my favorite be beverages. Uh, the Good People at Irish... Uh, sorry, at Writer's Tears. If perchance you're listening to this or if you know someone who works there and uh they're willing to sponsor our show uh, we are big fans riley and i of writer's tears ireland's finest there you go you know i started to drink not heavily but i have a beverage that i now like prosecco you're drinking prosecco and tequila no i did tequila and i barfed once and that's that tequila is now part of my past mm -hmm. okay 
Bonesmen are known to be incredibly tight-lipped about all of their organization's secrets. They take an oath of deep secrecy and they take that oath extremely seriously. When members are asked anything about the club, they will inevitably decline to speak about it in any kind of context. You'll see a million interviews with people who were bonesmen who are prominent people like the Bushes uh, or Carrie, mm-hmm. and um, they won't say anything. They, will, they won't even admit that they're part of the organization. I've experienced that firsthand. My family, I have family members that were members of the Knights of Columbus, and they will not talk about it. My dad was in that. He'd talk about it. He'd say he was a Knight of Columbus. Oh, my dad will admit that he's a Knight of Columbus, but he won't tell you anything about the initiation ceremony. I know, that drives me nuts. It's weird. It's weird. Well, do you know what? Do you know what I was compelled to do? I was compelled to join just so I can, like, blow the whistle. Yeah, but there's a lot of things you got to do to to get to that point where you start yeah, to get to the Yeah, but I'm an actor. Yeah, f- I'm sure I'll you could. Them out. It's odd. In, in like, I'm really tight with my dad, and he still to this day won't reveal what happened in that. I ceremony. bet somebody online did. Okay, I, you know, I bet somebody online did. I'm going to look it up because we can put it on the podcast and get it out into the world, including Bhutan. <laughs> now, the order has been described by experts on these kinds of things as a Freemasonic association. And those who ascribe to it being that kind of group refer to it as a death cult oh. or a satanic cult. Now, I mentioned earlier the order symbol. I don't know if you've ever seen it. When you look at the symbol, it's a vintage-looking skull and bones. Okay. It's extraordinarily menacing and sinister. It, it's kind of reminiscent of a pirate flag. Yeah, okay. It's very dark. You're looking it up now. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what you think. It's just a gray skull and bones, but not a, you know... Not in any way uh, cartoony. It's oh, yeah. vintage looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're going to deviate a bit. We're going to talk about Anthony Sutton. And he's very well known as a studier, a scholar of the skull and bones. Around 1980, and he was a university professor, I should note. He received an anonymous package containing a list of members of the skull and bones. And he didn't really think anything of it. But when he finally one day got around to actually looking at the list... He was startled to see the names on it. He describes the list as basically being the who's who of the establishment. Mm. And he was like, whoa, this just isn't any organization. These are the people that are running the country and perhaps the world. Yeah. So that began a four-year journey that would result in the publication of a very well-known book entitled America's Secret Establishment, An Introduction to the Order of Skull and Bones. And he is regarded as one of the leading experts on the order, but he's dead now, so he was regarded. I used a bad tense there. Mm. The group's alumni have indeed become some of the world's most powerful and influential leaders. Skull and Bones have controlled the fortunes of famous, notorious families, including the Carnegies, the Rockefellers, and the Fords. Mm. Like the Fords. Wow. And those three right there. Like when you think of money in sort of the early part of the 20th century, you think Carnegie's, Rockefeller's, that's what you think of. Members, now this is where it gets kind of cool, have also held very powerful and again influential positions in the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the American Psychological Association, and the Council of Foreign Relations, and also many of the most powerful and influential law firms in the world. Mm. So these guys are like the cream of the crop. Like these are, you know, like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, Dan, no member of Skull and Bones has ever made an achievement in the areas of art, literature, or science. Interesting. 
the humanities are not their thing. And that's very telling. Yeah. These are business people, uh, b- business in power. Yeah. And they have a very single goal. If you look at the members, they exist solely within the realms of finance, business, and politics. That's it. Right. There's no novelists. There's no poets. There's no painters. There's nothing. No, no singers, no musicians. Their primary uh, objectives have always been very clear. That's so weird to me. Yeah. That they're so specific. Yeah. Right? Well, and they must protect them and promote them from within, right? To, they to do, and the they legacy. want them. They want these people. Why? Why would you be so concerned to get the movers and shakers of the world under your wing? Well, right? You might have an agenda that you want to, you want to um, them to pursue. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, these men and women now wield incredible influence once they leave Yale and enter the working world. At one time, there was a banking family known as the Harrimans. And if you look at um, U.S. um, financial history around 1880, probably to about 1940, that name will come up again and again. And they seemed, the Harriman family, to be at the center of the order. They operated a financial institution known as W.A. Harriman and Company. Now, many believe that Harriman indirectly helped to finance Hitler's activities during the 1930s through a company known as the Union Banking Corporation. And there is evidence pointing to that link. But boy, oh boy, Dan, is that evidence complicated. I can't even get into it here like I told you before. The trails are so complicated. It's like this bank and that bank and this chairman and that chairman Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. dummy corporation. It's suffice it to say the evidence is there. If you believe the evidence to be true, that there was definitely, that was definitely going on. Are there other potential links to the rise of fascism and Nazism in Germany? Like I know the four, okay, okay. So why would American capitalists support Hitler? Well, Evidence suggests that they were very pro-fascist and wanted Hitler to succeed. Mm-hmm. And the Harriman family, actually the matriarch of the family, around the turn of the century, around the early, I think it was 1906, financed the inception, or I guess the creation of the U.S. branch of the British Eugenics Society. Uh. So they were behind that lovely organization. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't know, folks... The policy or the tenet of that movement was to eliminate undesirable components of society. Gets better, Dan. Interestingly enough, the American Eugenic Society would find itself headquartered at Yale University. I bet that's something they don't like people to know. In this day and age, they may not care anymore. There are those who posit that eugenics remain a foundation of the Bonesman Code. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't surprise me. Now. I'm going to move on from that because, like I said, the evidence is incredibly complicated and I don't want to bore you. Um, I don't want to bore the listeners. We try to keep it light and lively here. So this is an interesting story and I felt I had to share it with you. There is an underground bunker on a farm near San Diego, California, that contains frozen semen from five individuals. Two of those individuals are Nobel Prize winners and millionaire Robert Graham decided to create a superior race with the help of carefully chosen women. And Graham had actually written a book on the subject called The Future of Man. It's a very famous book. If you're ever gonna study sort of the rise and fall of eugenics, that's a book you will read. The only man who would admit to participating was the inventor of the transistor. This American guy named uh, Nobel, he was a Nobel winner as well, Dr. William Shockley. And in an, I know, I know, right? Dr. William Shockley founded the transistor. In an interview, Shockley stated as follows. For a long time, I've been interested not only in the human quantity problem, 
that is the population explosion that exists worldwide, but also in the human quality problem. There is no doubt that in terms of performance, intellectual performance, the black population is much lower than the white. And furthermore, as I have stressed, the highest birth rate in the 1970 census applied to the lowest socioeconomic segment, the black population. They average 5.4 children, enough to double their fraction of the population in one generation. So he's a lovely man. Yeah, because it has nothing to do with the fact that white people were suppressing black people still at that point in history. It, it has everything to do with their genetics. There's just so much to unpack there. The access to health care, access to birth control, yeah, exactly. the, influ the influence of religion. I mean, we could talk about this till you know our tits bled, but we're not going to. So the reason I brought this up was that Shockley believed that sterilization needed to be employed in order to protect the race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of folks speculate that Skull and Bones members supported his work and these beliefs. There are a lot of people out there, not just one or two, but quite a few who believe that they were involved in all of this. Wow. Okay. Now, George Bush was also rumored to have been very interested himself in the population control issue and, and means of trying to make the U.S. population stronger and smarter and more capable. All racist shit. Senior Bush or? Yeah, Pappy Bush. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... That is basically some of the um, sleazy stuff from that point in time. The eugenics, all of that. And everybody says the Bonesmen were knee deep in it. We don't mm -hmm. know. We can only go by what people are saying. And again, you can't take a lot of this extraordinarily seriously because a lot of these people are just conspiracy theorists who are putting this forward, right? Are you going to go into some, some other of the famous people that are involved? Yes, I am. All right. I will indeed. Because I have a question for you of that era... And just cut this out if uh, it doesn't make sense. Okay, wait until I get there. Wait till I get there. Okay, there are many stories associated with the famous initiation ceremony, and many claim that it involves occult practices such as the use of black magic and animal sacrifice. Mm. Now, we do know this. When they are being initiated, members are leaving their previous lives behind and beginning a new uh, chapter in their existence. It's much like joining the church. Because when you join the church, you're leaving your, you know, whatever the word is, I'm like secular life, I guess, behind, and you're entering, you're, you're, you're being reincarnated as a, as a new being. And that's sort of what the Bonesmen, they're like, whatever you were and knew before, this is who you are now. You become a god. Mm -hmm. So some of the initiations that have uh, circulated, uh, rumors about them, uh, one was that Henry Luce, who was the founder of Time Magazine, a very famous publisher, had to lie naked in a coffin and recount his early sex life. Well, who hasn't done that, Riley? Well, I did that just yesterday. I did that on Wednesday. That's just how I unwind. William, mm. William F. Buckley, who we all know, was made to jump into a giant vat of mud. Reminds me a bit of Queen's University with all the yeah. mud. Now, the headquarters of the uh, Bonesmen still exists at Yale to this day. They still own and control it. It's called the Tomb. And rightly so, because it looks like a tomb. It's very gothic and menacing and not inviting at all. But not a lot of the buildings at Yale are like that anyway. It's windowless. It's, it's um, located on a high street. And it's very close to the campus proper. So the closer you are, the more power you have. It's there that all the members of the, or I guess I'll call them Bones, men and women now gather for meetings and other events, including the mysterious initiation rites. Now, this is going to be interesting. I want to see your reaction when I say this. The tomb is also said to contain the remains of notable Apache leader Geronimo. Oh, why? How did they get that? I knew this would get you. Geronimo 
give you a bit of background, died in 1909. I didn't know that. I thought he was old-timier than that. No, no. And he, he died after being imprisoned for 20 years. 20 years. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, we have so much to atone for. And he was imprisoned at a facility called a Fort Sill, and that's located in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Story states that nine years after his death, a number of bonesmen who were stationed oh. at... Fort Sill, which is a base, which is a, a military base, exhumed the body and then made off with his skull, two bones, and a bunch of implements, including his riding equipment. I didn't even realize that he was interred there as well. Like, what a slap in the face. Yeah. Well, that this is interesting. So these items were then transported by the bonesmen to the tomb. And a lot of people have said that the skull was displayed in a glass case in the tomb's lobby. And it was supposed to be inspiration. This guy's like a warrior, right? Mm-hmm. He's incredibly strong. The bonesmen involved in the theft of the body, in the exhumation and theft of his remains, were Prescott Bush, who was the father of George H.W. Bush, okay. and others. But that's the most notable name. Now, an author who had been researching young men from Yale who had flown during World War I stumbled across, by chance, a letter from one bonesman to another that contained the following text. And I quote, The skull of the worthy Geronimo the Terrible, exhumed from its tomb at Fort Sill by your club and the knight Hafner, is now safe inside the tomb, together with his well-worn femurs, a riding bit, and a saddle horn. So there seems to be strong evidence that this did indeed happen because, again, this is a communication from one member of the order to another. Not surprising, based on what you were saying before, too, that they would have no value of that person's prior life and the sanctity of his grave, right? Yes. So, needless to say, Geronimo's descendants, 20 of them, filed a lawsuit against the Skull and Bones. Yale University, members of the U.S. government, including Barack Obama... Because the government was involved. So they're just suing everyone they can think of. In the suit, they demanded that the remains be returned to them. And they claimed that Geronimo had always said that he wanted his remains to be buried in the Apache lands of Mexico. But apparently there's also um, a contrary thing to that. Apparently his particular tribe didn't care where they were buried. So I ran across that a number of times in my research as well. So a lot of people say it really doesn't matter. He's not buried though. And I'm sure he wouldn't want, you know, be the plaything of... These rich white elite guys. Exactly. So that's the famous story of oh my the theft. God. I never the, knew that. I know, I didn't either. And again, try to do any real deep dive research on this. It's really hard because you're only getting secondhand information. Mm-hmm. But the letter is one of the most compelling pieces of evidence because it is a letter and it was found by accident when all they were trying to do is find who at Yale had flown uh, aircraft during World War One, and they come across this letter and kaboom, it mentions the theft of Geronimo's body. Mm. So there you go. Other grisly artifacts contained in the tomb, Dan, are the skulls of U.S. President Martin Van Buren and the famous Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa. Oh, yeah. So they apparently have that as That's well. That's creepy. Isn't that? Yeah, I guess because they just really, I guess, worship their strength. That's creepy, though, that they have dead bodies in their tomb. That's creepy. That is not yeah. Christian. Like, that's, that's well, sinister. Well, they don't really identify as Christian. They don't, eh? It's not in their manifest. It's not. George W. Bush became a born-again Christian. Well, yeah, but it's not. There's the, the bonesmen and the smell bones. It has I've, nothing to do. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard anything mentioning Christianity. It's... 
quite the contrary. Yeah, sure is. This is interesting, Dan, living where we do. Skull and Bones owns a property known as Deer Island, situated in the St. Lawrence River. Oh. And this is a, a, a location they use as a retreat. And it's also a place where members old and new gather and speak. And they say a lot of deals are made at Deer Island. And just for our listeners that are not familiar with St. Lawrence, the St. Lawrence River, it's um, the, the major river in Canada. Uh, it flows massive out. trade route, massive trade. Yeah, route. It flows out into the Atlantic. You'll find Quebec city and Montreal. Our city is often and lots of pollution, of tons of pollution. And it leads to the great lakes. And is also the dividing line, uh, in between the United States and Canada at one point. So that would make sense that the Americans would have, they do have islands in the St. Lawrence that are American territory. So anyway, they own a property there and apparently it's a dump. Uh, people who've been there said it's like not nice. Like you'd expect something more from these movers and shakers of the well, world. Upper but, state New York. Well, you know, these guys, like, please, the Carnegie's, the Rockefeller, the Fords, come on. So the Bonesmen regard the order really as their second family and they protect each other. And boy, do they protect each other. Many regard it as a private government that often work counter to what the visible government is actually trying to achieve. Mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. like an underground government. I'm sure there's a word for that that I'm not aware of, but that's how they see a it. Shadow government. Very good. Very good. See, that's 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 why you um, advance to the bonus round. Yay! It's important to note that there, as I said before, but you always got to keep in mind how much wealth is behind these people. They can wield unbelievable power and influence. We're talking like the, the cream of the crop and the banking system. Mm -hmm. And there's so much power to be had if you have control of the banking system. It's rumored that the core of the order was a, for a long time about only 20 families that have been around for a long, long time. And they immigrated from England in the 16 and 1700s. And the other families, the newer families, uh, comprised banking and industrial wealth that was accumulated during the late 1800s and early 1900s, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. There was a huge industrial boom then. So much money was made, right? Railways, mm -hmm. industrialization, all of that. As I mentioned earlier, Dan, we're getting close to the end here. Again, it's a shorter one for me this week. Many folks believe that the skull and bones were responsible for the Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. I can't begin to explain why, but I will give you this bit of information. Yale has been a notorious supplier of CIA personnel. One of the first places the CIA goes traditionally to recruit has been Yale. And you got to remember that when you were choosing somebody for the CIA, well, Bonesmen, they've already been vetted. They, they have clean records and we know they can keep a secret. Mm -hmm. So for the perfect candidates for that kind of, you know, that kind of work. Mm -hmm. Now, this gets into the realm of like, what, what, what do you, what, what'd you say, mama? What, what'd you say? Uh, the Bonesmen are also said to have been behind the creation of the first nuclear bomb. In what way? There was their idea to, to pursue it? Yeah, and they wanted it as a method of sort of world domination. Mm. There's not a lot to support that, but there are many who believe that's true. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot written to that the, uh, the Skull and Bones is sponsored and controlled by the Illuminati, who are still out there and very active. I wish they were. It'd make life so interesting. They'd be kind of like the American branch of the Illuminati. Yeah. Interesting. I love the idea of the Illuminati. It reminds me of the Telemasca that was in all those Anne Rice books, that secret metaphysical organization. I love the idea of it. Others speculate that the Bonesmen secretly have full control over the CIA. There's a lot of people saying they are the ones behind it. Mm. Two of the characters in F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby were Bonesmen. He mentions it in the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gatsby? 
Yeah, in The Great Gatsby. He no, was no, mentioned. is Gatsby, Gatsby one of them? Gatsby and the other guy, yeah. The, the, the jerk uh, Yeah, I can't. it doesn't matter who what his name was. But yeah, there, there's two, two of the characters. So he was very aware of the organization and how powerful they were. Because that was very much a, like that book is a comment on that type of society, yeah, absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. I love that book. So Me many people too. hate it. I don't know why. It's a play I'd love to direct because I want to be able to balance the coldness of it with the humanity of it as well, if that makes any sense. Anyway, I'm going way off script. Okay. In the organization's logo, which you looked at earlier, you might have noticed that the number 322 was prominently displayed. Yes. What is that? That is said to refer to 322 BC when Athens lost the Lamian War and subsequently democracy. And became uh, subjugated by Rome. Yes. So that's why they think 322 is there. Everybody has researched the number and nothing comes up but that. And Bones, former Bonesmen have said that's what it means. Oh. So think about that. It's to, to commemorate when democracy was subjugated. Like, what? Yeah. What you talk about, Willis? You know, like, what? We're watching that unfold in real time right now. Don't talk to me right now about the world, Dan. I will get so upset, honestly. I think some night we should just record a rant. And that episode of The Weird will be just me in, in the throes of despair. I can't, I can't talk about it. I can't. I can't talk about gun control right now because I will flip the fuck out. Okay, so back to my script. <laughs> Dan, women were born. Uh, were born. Women were born, Dan. Get they weren't out hatched. Of town. I thought they grew in eggs that were on ceilings of, uh, uh, of car uh, mechanic shops. I just thought they just appeared in your garage. Oh, well, that's possible. Okay, so, Dan, women were barred from Skull and Bones until oh, 1992. On. Well, of course, come what, on. What woman in her right mind would want to join an organization like that? Have you looked at the uh, Republican Party in the U.S.? Nothing but but beautiful women that espouse peace and harmony and high intellect. Of course. No, in I'm 2004, Dan... Dan Lajuan, mm, 2004, yes. both presidential candidates, John Kerry and George W. Bush, were bonesmen. So the fix was in. So they were both bonesmen running against each other. Were they? I bet it was very polarizing within the bone society. Were they really running, running against each other? I don't know. About well, that. they did. Anyway, to date, three presidents have been bonesmen. Taft, Bush... And Bush. Yeah. So the Bushes. Friggin'. And you know what? If you look at Bush, there's a joke in there, but I'm not going to do it. Um, if you look at that whole Bush reign on both both of them, yeah. it just points in the direction of the Bonesmen and that kind of support of capitalism and, you know, stuff that Republicans usually do. And it's been suggested, and not unrealistically, that Skull and Bones was responsible for George H.W. Bush, the first becoming president, because he really didn't have any business being president. If you look at him, he had very little political experience. He had one year serving as an ambassador and one year with the CIA. And then suddenly he's vice president and ultimately president. Yeah. And there's an interesting story in there too about Reagan and Bush and that they didn't really get along. Oh, Reagan, dear God. Reagan was mentioned in some of the research, but I didn't pull it out. So this would suggest that his incredibly rapid rise, there had to be external forces at play. Nobody goes from point A to point B that quickly without there being mm -hmm. some kind of agenda behind them. So, yeah, Bush, it points in the direction of the skull and bones. It really does. And there's enough people out there with influence to get him where he needed to be. Final thing in my treatise on the Skull and Bones tonight, Dan, there are about 800 active members of the Skull and Bones in the world at any given time. Mm-hmm. So out there right now are 800 people who are members of the organization. 
Because they control their membership, right? So it's always going to be about 800. Sure. And natural deaths occur and people, mm-hmm. it's cold. Wow. I wish I had more like satanic, black magic. No. But there's no, the, the initiation ceremony is so protected sure. by the members that I just don't know it anything. It would be but as intriguing if it was easily known what it was all about. No, no, I, I didn't know a lot of the things you were talking about. I had no idea that they were involved in the eugenics movement and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you earlier if you knew, and you, you might not, uh, if Charles Lindbergh was, was a Skull and Bones member. It wasn't mentioned. I didn't run across it. Okay. And I looked through the lists of well-known people. And Trump it's, wasn't. No, 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 they would never have someone that stupid. He's not a, he's not successful enough. Trump isn't their kind of person. Right. And I, I should, I shouldn't joke. Like I, I wouldn't think that like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Ted Cruz, they would never be skull and bones. They're not elite enough. They're not smart enough. And they're not circumspect enough either. They're not stealthy enough. And they're not, they don't come from old money. I mean, George W. Bush is an idiot. But he's got that very patrician vibe, right? He, he comes from old, yeah. he's an old family and old, you know, old money. Yeah. And they protected him. He was a puppet president. Is Dick Cheney a member of Skull and Bones by any chance? It didn't, didn't come across okay. his name. Yeah. You can go look at the names. Like the names are mostly bankers and people and lawyers I've never heard of. And they'll tell you, you know, this is with that person. This is with that organization. But there are a lot of ambassadors and people, just people in power, powerful people. Where, where I was going with the Charles Lindbergh thing, and it, it, it will tie back into um, what you were saying. Because you were saying the Fords. Henry Ford was, was Skull and yes. Bones, right? I mean, we, we know that he was a Nazi sympathizer. And there was also that the, the American Nazi movement that wanted uh, Hitler to win, but also wanted their own Nazi movement to take over in the United States. I mean, there was a massive rally at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I think it was the late 1930s, early 1940s. Like imagine packed that arena with the swastikas and the and the the, the one arm salutes. People yeah. react to that kind of thing in the worst possible way. They can't accept the fact that the world is changing, and you kind of have to embrace that. No, you have to put. You can't push back against it and look for someone to blame. But that's what we. But that that is what we do, right? We still do. We're doing it right now. You, you know? do that to me with every episode where you push me down so you feel better about yourself. Look at you trying to diffuse my anger. Aren't you sweet? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to rant because people don't want to hear me rant. People want to hear me, you know, do interesting, weird stuff. So Dan. That's the story of Skull and Bones and the Bonesman and the tomb. you got to see a picture of the tomb. Don't look at it now, but look at it on your off time. It's so brooding and uninviting. It just looks awful. It's Why awful can't I looking. look at it now? Because I don't want to waste time. I want to go eat. What are you going to eat? I don't know. I could bought some chips. Not. I hope that's not your supper. No, I had pad thai. <gasps> did you make it? As if. Oh. No, 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 no. I did not make it. I, I purchased it at a local takeout franchise. Okay. But it was good. It was sweet and delicious and full of tofu. Fantastic. I know. My life is a blessed thing. Anyway, Dan, I hope you liked the story. Loved it. Yeah, there's stuff in there that I didn't know either. So, yeah, mm. the eugenics thing, like we, uh, everything I said, folks, is alleged. It's alleged, all right? I don't have any firm data to support anything. These are all people theorizing. And so that's what I shared with you today. Some people say this, some people say that, da, 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 because it's so secret, nobody really knows. But I would say that they have some uh, characters that are involved that lend credence to that theory, like yes. Henry Ford. 
But the connections, like I said, to the eugenics movement are really complicated. It's not like he wrote a check and gave them $3 million. It's this bank supporting that bank. It's a really complicated financial structure Mm -hmm. there. And I don't... I, it would take days to, to um, sort of go through it all. Sure. So there you go. Folks, I hope you liked that one. I did. It was fun to research. And I wanted to do a secret society. I don't think I've ever done one. No, that's our first. And won't be our last. No, it will not. Because we, we, well, we were talking before recording this. There's a few bubbling on the horizon there that uh, we may do at some point in the, in oh, the yeah. near future. Like the Knights Templar, but that's a like big the one. the Knights Templar. Yeah, the Illuminati. One, but I, I find it so, and the Illuminati, of course. Uh the Knights Templar, I find fascinating. And that probably is the, the next one that I'll be tackling. Because It's I've always such a been, great idea. Like they, these guys that protected. It's not just their ancient history. It's also the fact that they may still exist. And what they did when we all thought they were gone. That's the story that I want to tell. Same as the Illuminati, right? They could be still out there. We just don't know it. Yeah. Ma. Do you like that sound effect? Ma. It sounded dirty. It did, didn't it? Everything I do sounds dirty. Is that, did you pick that sound up from that motel room uh, several years back? No. <laughs> I, I don't even know if they had a sound man. Probably. He's probably smoking. You'd expect, <laughs> you know, you'd expect him to be smoking. Yeah. Okay, uh, folks, as always, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. And all we ask in return is that you share the word of the weird if you feel that it's worthy of sharing. Um, We love that you're here. We love doing this for you. It's the kind of stories we loved growing up, and we hope that you love them as much as we do. Mm -hmm. So you can rate us, you can review us, and you most certainly should subscribe to our show. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Weird Podcast. Please feel free to share uh, your feelings and thoughts about uh, episodes. We love to hear from you. Yes, please, please. We want more feedback. So if you guys talk to us, we want a dialogue. We'd love it. We want to know you're out there. Show ideas that you would like us to, uh, to pursue, then please feel free to message us anytime and uh because i'll be honest we're running out of i i my next episode is about my coasters uh on my table how they 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 just they glide across the table well mine's about pixar (laughs) toy story is really an allegory for world domination (laughs) all right everybody thank you so much for listening good night bye folks we That does get under your skin.